everybody, you're listening to Sit Down with Stand-Ups. My guest today is a very funny comedian. He's an Emmy award-winning writer, and he's currently the head monologue writer on Conan. I'm sitting here with Mr. Brian Kiley. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you for being here. Sure. And thanks for letting me come to your studio. Oh, that's this right, these are the beautiful, most beautiful microphones I've ever seen. Oh, thank so. you. <laughs> uh, this is amazing. I mean, I know there's no shows on Friday, and you guys are working Right, right, right. Friday. We're just preparing stuff for next week. And that's amazing. Whatever. So it's just around-the-clock production for this Yeah, show. it's always good to get ahead. And actually, it's nice, you know, working on the monologue, it's nice to, on Fridays, we get to actually work on something else. So yeah. it's a nice break mentally and just t- to actually write a sketch or work on other bits is is a, a relief. Yeah. And uh, you started, you're the head monologue writer, and you started with Conan during Late Night. Yeah, I've actually been with him for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah, I started... Uh, the Ides of March in '94, uh, okay. and he had started in September. So I I got on a, about six or seven months in. So it's yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that twenty years. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and through three different shows. Yeah, too. yeah, that's true. That's incredible. <laughs> Um, it's yeah. It's What's it like to be a comedian and to have to start writing more topical jokes every day? Well, it's. It's interesting in that, you know, when I, when I used to, when I was a full-time st- stand-up, I did do a lot of topical jokes in my act at the, when I got hired. And, you know, if I did 45 minutes, I probably did 20 to 25 minutes of topical stuff in the old days. Okay. So even when I got hired, my packet, I just kind of typed up 20 minutes of my act, <laughs> forget, you know, yeah. and sent it in. And, but the good thing is I kind of, I mean, it was topical, so you'd, it was constantly changing, but it was jokes that I got to try out, you know, several times. So I kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't like I wrote a bunch of stuff in a vacuum and sent it in. I kind of knew, okay, here's 20 minutes of stuff that usually works, you right. know. Um, but it is, it's, um, you know, the the difference is as a, as, you, as a stand-up, you have a lot more freedom than you realize mm-hmm. because... You get to talk about whatever you want, right. and uh, you know you're not worried. It's like you can do a McDonald's joke and not worry. Well, McDonald's is a sponsor. We can't do that joke or anything oh, like that. Yeah. You know, and if you write a joke that you like, you just go and do it. Where here, you might write, write a joke that you like, and they go, "Nah." <laughs> you go, "What do you mean?" You know, or yeah. someone else. You know, you might have a joke on, you know, the presidential campaign about some specific thing or something. And somebody came up with a better joke, and they do that person's, and you're like, oh, yeah, all right. So <laughs> I mean, you kind of your own editor as a as a comic, and so you you get to make the decisions of what goes in and what what doesn't go in. You yeah. Know? Um, so that's a ni- you know you you realize it's like oh you have a lot of sort of hate to use the term sort of artistic freedom or whatever, but at least you get to make your own decisions. Right. You know? So that's kind of a fun thing. But also, I realized you know as a comic. I would sit and write every day, but some days I'd be like, well, I can't think of anything. Right, <laughs> you yeah, know? Well, it's just my question, because, like, as a starting out comedian, I write, like, maybe five, ten jokes a day, and yes. I'm, like, I'm I did a great job. Yes, But yes. you must write, like, 50 jokes a day. Well, that's just it. As a comic, I would my, I would shoot for five every day, and some days I might write ten, and mm-hmm. some days I might write two, you know, but five was kind of what I was going for. And, I, you know, now I'm writing... F- 40 jokes a day or wow. whatever yeah. and for you know 50 sometimes you know whatever and you go oh 
I guess I could have worked harder as a, but it's a little bit of a diff- different thing because your stand-up jokes, you're, you're trying to write, for the most part, I mean, you're trying to write something with, with some legs to it, yeah. you know? And a lot of the jokes here are, you could really only do it one day or two days, you know? Um, and some of these stories are just sort of so small you know, no one wants to hear them a week or two later, you mm. know? Uh, you it know, reminds I, me of, like, cartooning, like a cartoonist in a newspaper. It's just, like, very fast. Absolutely. I, I always feel like I'm working in a newspaper here. I always feel like I'm driving 80 miles an hour, writing something down, and throwing out the window, <laughs> and it's gone, you <laughs> yeah. know? So, whereas, you know, if, if, you, if you have sort of a, a, a great non-topical joke for your act, you can do it for years and years. Right, and just, yeah. You know, so... Uh, you don't have that sort of luxury as he, in, in this kind of job. Well, what's that like, um, since you said you would write like five jokes a day, do you think that jokes come to you? Do you have to wait for them for your stand-up act? Or you, if you sat at a table with a piece of paper and pen, can you do the same thing? You know, that that's an interesting thing. I mean, there, there's definitely... I, a, a lot of jokes I come up with, I'm talking to someone in conversation, and I make a joke, and I think, oh, I could use that. Yeah. You know? But I think... It, for me personally, if I just sat and wait for jokes to come to me, I just wouldn't have enough. Right. You know, I, I, and I remember reading, I wish I could remember the book, but there's some novel I was reading, and I can't remember if it was Philip Roth or some, but somebody like a real guy, mm-hmm. a real novelist. And in the within the context of the story, the character was saying that. Amateurs wait for inspiration, right. and that a pro sits down and writes every day. You know, okay. so if so if you think of yourself as writing a novel, and you may be like, I don't feel inspired today. That's not how it works. If you right. if you you can't only write when you're inspired. Yeah, you, you know, you have to kind of, and to be good at anything, if you were a baseball player and said, I'm only going to play when I really feel like it. Well, you might play once a week. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you're not going to be that good. Yeah. You know? So the trick is to go out every day or almost every day and do it, whether you feel like it or not, you know, and and, and that's how you get good at something. You that's know? great advice. Yeah. And um, just to go back to maybe the earlier days when you're starting out on Conan, mm-hmm. I know like late night was I heard Conan say they were getting picked up like every three months. Or oh, three yeah, weeks yeah, yeah. Or something Absolutely. like that. And you're coming on, and the the world doesn't know Conan yet, so yes. you're working with him. And I know a lot of the writers, like Louis C.K., were also had a stand-up background. Sure. And Mr. O'Brien came from like improv and mm-hmm. Simpsons, and more of a writing background. Right, right. What was that like to write monologues for him? Would you give him advice on how to like time the jokes, or? Well, the only advice, you know, it's funny. He, he's an unbelievably funny guy. Yeah. And he was a brilliant guy. And he, what amazed me about him right from the start is just in the office. It's one thing there's a group of people joking around and you jump in and you say something funny, right. you know. He would do a, a, a spontaneous five-minute riff off the cuff that was funny the whole way through. And I was wow. – I had never seen anything like that. Like, yeah. I'd been around a lot of comedians and a lot of funny people and people that were quick-witted and so on and creative and all that. But to have somebody just off the top of his head make up something out of whole cloth for five minutes that was funny <laughs> it was like what yeah i i was amazed so uh, you know he's he he's a brilliant guy i the only advice that i really gave him was what happen would happen is sometimes would be in the monologue meeting he'd be reading the jokes off cue cards he'd read the joke 
and he would say a, f- a hilarious tag in the meeting and mm-hmm. we would all crack up yeah and then he wouldn't he would just do the joke as it was on the card when we would go out and do the show oh he'd be afraid to add the tag well it was almost like it was like well that's just an extra thing and i had right. to say no 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 <laughs> that's your that's gold yeah you can't throw that away and the other thing is you know the difference between stand up and, and sort of real life is in real life no one's expecting you to say something funny mm. so when something comes up that element of surprise just enhances the the joke you right know? but in this you come out and it's like okay here's someone going to come out and tell jokes so that element of surprise is gone and you're waiting you're waiting he says the setup everyone's waiting for the punchline but the the tagline they've already heard the punchline they're laughing then you can catch them off guard, I find. And and I'd say to him, it's like, hey, if, if you say hilarious tag in the meeting, you got to say that out there. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and there were times where, you know, the joke is kind of funny, but the tag is that much funnier. And, or if, if the tag is equal to, to the punchline, you know, uh, we, you got to put that out there, yeah. you know? And I think that he... As he became more comfortable and has got more experience, he will come up with tags now. And then often what happens now is he'll have a tag. You know, Andy might have a tag. He'll have to. And you know, one of my favorite moments in the show, there was a we had a joke about Charles Manson got caught in his prison cell. I don't know if you remember the story mm-hmm. with a cell phone. Oh yeah. Which you know you're not allowed to have prisoners right. around. Our, <laughs> but so we had a joke about it. Whatever the joke was. And then, just spontaneously, it's like, who, who's Manson talking to? Like, who's on the phone with Charles Manson, <laughs> you know? So true, yeah. And then Andy and, and Conan just did this spontaneous riff back and forth. One of them was pretending to be Manson, and the other person was <laughs> the person they were talking to. Yeah. And just this back and forth imaginary conversation wow. with, who, you know? And it was great. And mm. the joke was okay, but the riff after it was fantastic, yeah. you know? So moments like that I, I love, you know? Um, and so I think as as he's become more comfortable, he's 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 able to use the joke as kind of a, sometimes just as a starting point, a jumping off point, and then kind of you know the two of them will riff on and something, and that's great. I love that's that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, tell me just a simple day in the life of a head writer because I oh. know you guys tape at like four thirty mm-hmm. in the afternoon. So how when do you hit the deadline? Is that well, we what happens is the f- there's I work with uh, I have, it's a very funny team. I work with uh, Josh Comers, who's a funny comic, mm. and Laurie Kilmartin. Oh, she's great! Yeah, she's amazing. And Dion uh, Cole too. Uh, well, you know, Dion actually never worked on the monologue. Okay, um, and he's actually on a TV show now. He got cast in a sitcom. Yeah. So uh, we don't get to see Dion too often, which is he was oh, yeah. great. You know, but whenever he comes in. That guy, the audience just loves that guy. Yeah. You know? Um, he's on Anthony Anderson's show, right? Uh, well, he's been doing a reoccurring role on that, but he's on a show. Uh, he's going to be on a, a TBS. I think it's on TBS. It was created by Steve Carell and his wife. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Walls, I think her name is. And um, it stars Rashida Jones. I've heard about the show, yeah. Yeah, and Dion's a regular on that. Oh, that's so, great, yeah. So he'll still come in and do bits for us once in a while, but we just don't get to have them all the time. And then Rob Cutner is the other guy that we work with who's great. So what we do is we come in, we each individually look for premises, we come up with premises, we will pool our premises, 
we'll write our jokes. Uh, I'll get together. I'll write on my own. I also get together with Comers because it's just hard to sit in a room by yourself all day. And yeah. sometimes, so we'll go in and kind of throw premises back and forth at each other and try to come up with jokes, sort of just riff on topics. And so we'll pool our jokes. Um, we'll get together. I'll read through the jokes. Someone might say, hey, you know, we could do an, another version of this, or we'll kind of tweak each other's jokes. And sometimes it just, you know, reading through it, sometimes someone has an idea for another joke or something. Yeah. So we'll put that batch together. We'll send it to Conan. We'll have lunch. <laughs> then we get the jokes back from Conan, the ones he liked, and then the topics he liked. He might be like, you know what? It's Obama's birthday today. Uh, none of the jokes we have are too good. You know, let's find a good president's birthday, for okay. example. Yeah. You know, whatever. So the second batch will take the areas that he liked, uh, write new jokes, uh, then we meet with Conan, and we he looks through the, the second batch, picks out the ones he likes, looks through the first batch, sees what he's still thinking. You know, sometimes he sours on a joke. Yeah. It's like, remember, you liked this an hour ago. And sometimes <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like, you know. Or sometimes we have a joke in batch two that's better than the what, what he picked in batch one right. or whatever. So he'll pick the jokes from batch one and two that he likes. Um, we'll put those on cue cards. Then we'll write a third batch, which is an abbreviated batch because we just don't have that much time, mm -hmm. f from, say, 3 to 3.30. Then we'll meet them at quarter four. We'll show him the third batch. He might pick one or two out of that. Then we read through the jokes on cards that we have from batch one and two. Andy's in the meeting. Our head writer, Mike Sweeney's in the meeting. Our producer is in the meeting. Um, and uh, one or two other people. Yeah. Uh, Jose Arroyo, and we'll pick the jokes and put them in an order. Uh, then he goes back, so we go backstage, the band is playing, he's reading the jokes one or two last times, mm -hmm. and then he goes out and, and does it. Wow. So, yeah. That's such a fast it's, turnaround. It's a fast turnaround. It's, you know, it's very tight. It's, it's funny, sometimes we'll be in that meeting and he'll say, you know, we never got a good joke on the president's birthday. Yeah. And we'll kind of start riffing then you know <laughs> we're kind of we're all we're all in the, like room, the last minute last minute yeah. brainstorming and every once in a while you know the show's at 4 30 every once in a while at 4 20 somebody comes up with a joke oh, wow. that he likes yeah it's like yeah that's good and put it you know it's like you've hit a walk-off home run that's crazy that, you know yeah. what i mean that's so cool um of course sometimes the joke bombs but if you've <laughs> come up with a last minute joke that works it's like okay we did you know and it's funny because sometimes it's like you you've been working on that premise all day and then suddenly finally you come up with the joke on it right you know? so and how many jokes are in a batch you mentioned because if you're four writers and you're all writing 50 jokes yeah you filter does he read all of them or he does wow. yeah it's a lot it you know it, it it's um, so he's reading about like 200 jokes maybe yeah i would say over the course of the day i think the word drudgery <laughs> probably fit you know it's it's hard to know what's funny, I feel like, after that point. Yeah, Because there's I mean, so many great ones. Well, and there's also this some that's like, ah, oh, this might be, a, the reference is a little too obscure, or this is a little bit dated, or uh, that's too obvious, you know, whatever it is. Right. It has, it's, you know, you're trying to find that joke that's just right, you know. And is the monologue structured in a certain way? Like, is there politics always, like, at the beginning, or is it kind of just where whichever order? Uh, well, that's a good question. It, it tends to be, you know, say... You want to start with whatever is easiest to st in the most accessible in a sense. So okay. he might go, on, oh, it's Halloween tomorrow. 
right. everybody's on board. Yeah. Or, hey, today's the president's birthday, blah, blah, blah. So it might be that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think in the we generally do the top politics closer to the top, but sometimes it's just too dry. Yeah. You know, and if it's like, hey, we the president appointed a new secretary of the interior today, you know, we might have you an okay joke people. about it, yeah. but it might just be too dry to start out. So we it's kind of like stand-up. You want to start with something kind of funny at the beginning to get attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully you want to have something funny throughout, but you <laughs> want to have something that's just a little bit, you know, a little more a natural opening. Right. It's natural to come out and say, hey, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, or I'm, you know, Halloween tomorrow, or whatever it is, as opposed to... Oh, the president met with the new secretary of interior. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, who, who starts a conversation with that? Right. Do you know what I mean? So it's more natural to come out and say, oh, it's the last game of the World Series tonight, or it's Halloween tomorrow, or Thanksgiving's coming up, or something that is sort of a natural conversation starter, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting to hear the mechanics of how, Well, you know. also with our audience, I remember when that whole WikiLeaks thing was happening. Right. He'd come out and talk about WikiLeaks. And you Nobody never saw so many board. eyes glaze over, <laughs> you know. Our audience was not interested. Yeah. And when he finally got to the Kardashians, it was like, yay, you know. So, uh, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're really not a poli- uh, show about politics. We're not really, we're, you know, we, you try to do stuff that's uh, coming off the news, but um, our, our audience is sort of less interested in, in some of the, you know. Right. We can't bore them, I guess. You know what I mean? We And we just try to have it uh, be as accessible as possible. It must be challenging, though, uh, as a writer to... Because I feel like you have to know Conan's voice in your head when you're writing the jokes. Sure, and sure. And your audience, too, at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, there, you know, you might have a... Um, because I'm sure if, you know, if a really funny person would say a joke and then Conan would say it a totally different way. So right. you've got to be conscious Absolutely. of that. And, and right? also there are jokes, you know, somebody put in a Neville Chamberlain joke th- recently. <laughs> and he, of course, always blames me for that. And, and, I, and, and I didn't want to say anything, but I, want, and I wanted to go, that wasn't mine. <laughs> but it's a joke that he might appreciate and get a kick out of. Right. But he knows, it's like, already, they're not going to know who he is. Yeah. And it's, you know, so he he's very conscious of what are they going to get. And, you know, what happens is our audience is so young even, you know, you have an O.J. Simpson joke and someone's like, you know, the O.J. trial was 20 years ago. Right. And it's, fr- you know, if you're my age, you're like, really? It's 20, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago. But if you're 20. Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, you m- might not know who O.J. Simpson is, right. you know. So we're we're very conscious of that because, you know, our th- I think our audience is bright, but they're but they're young. And, right. and you know, like our uh, a, a monologue assistant uh, Danielle is young, and it's good to say. Do you get this reference? <laughs> you know, if we're doing a joke about Iran and we make a hostage joke, are you familiar with yeah, that? Right, yeah. You know, or whatever. So, there are some things. I remember years ago we had a joke about Robert Blake when that trial was yeah. going on, and Kona was like, "Do they know who Robert Blake <laughs> is?" So he pulls an intern over and says, "Do you know who Robert Blake is?" And she goes, "I think he's a poet." Oh. And it was like, okay, well, let's not do this <laughs> joke. So, uh, you know, I, I remember years ago we did a Burt Reynolds joke to total silence. Oh, no. And you go, you know what? They don't know who Burt Reynolds yeah. is. And it's not it's not their fault. It's They're just young, that's right. all, you know. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting because now I think about it because I started watching Late Night when I was like maybe seven or eight. Oh, my so God. I, but I, you look exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
when I was a kid, I loved the sketches and like the remotes and all that stuff. But then later, like I think in the Tonight Show, I just felt like the monologues. Maybe it's because I was paying attention more, but I felt like they're a bigger part of the show. Well, I do think, and that's when I really got into the monologues. I was like, oh, this is great. That was my favorite part. After well, that. you know what? I th- because the the Tonight Show had this long history of having a long monologue. Uh, I think when Conan took over the Tonight Show, I think he, there was a feeling of this has been established so this is it's kind of what we have to do here Mm -hmm. and he he would do a longer monologue you know he might do 15 jokes and with this show is this is just the show Conan and there's no uh, you know history or we we, he can make the rules you know so there hasn't been a thing of well we're obligated to do a long monologue or this and that so it's kind of like, well, we can do whatever we want here, yeah. you know. So I do think, um, you know, he probably does about ten jokes, which seems to be the right amount of, because also people do want, they kind of want their one-on-one time with Conan, t- to some extent. Do you know what I mean? So if he comes out and it's just, if he just came out and didn't do any comedy and just introduced the guests, I think people would be like, well, we we do want to see Conan (laughs) you know we want to see Conan be funny and talk you know and so uh, I think 10 jokes seems to be the right mix of monologue plus leaving time for sketches or for a bit or or whatever that's so great to learn right now that there's maybe 200 jokes that go into those 10 jokes it's really amazing yeah I mean it, it is that thing of and I know with my stand-up, too, you know, you just have you have to write so many jokes that, you know, I write so many jokes that think, oh, wait, did they hear this one? And then they heard it and they weren't interested, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you go, oh, I thought for sure that would, you know. But you just have to, that's just part of the process. You just have to write so many jokes to get those few nuggets that yeah. that do work. Yeah. And do you stay during the shootings to watch, see if the jokes go over? Sure, yeah. sure. You definitely want to see, it's like, oh, am I going to have to hide my face tomorrow when I come <laughs> in. Does or he, like, say, like, who wrote this joke? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, I mean, we, we'll we edit something out if it's if a joke totally bombs. Although sometimes a joke might bomb, but then he's funny about it afterwards, yeah. so then we'll keep it in, you That's know? That's cool, yeah. But, um, yeah, you might, you know, there are times when you say, you know, he's on the fence about a joke, and, oh, this is definitely going to work, and... When it doesn't, you're like, oh, I talked him into that joke, and it was <laughs> <laughs> so like a little risk. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad feeling. But um, you know, years ago, he asked me. Like, I remember the, we had a, in New York one time, we had a shaky monologue one night, <laughs> and he's like, "How do you feel when you send me out there with that guy?" You know, <laughs> and I remember t- I was telling him to him, I said, "You know, I feel like Jimmy Stewart in that movie Rear Window where." <laughs> He's got two broken legs, yeah. and he's looking through with the binoculars, looking through the other, in, at the other apartment, and he sent Grace Kelly in <laughs> to rob the guy or whatever. And then Raymond Burr came home and starts beating her <laughs> up, and he's helplessly watching. That's how I feel. It's what like, a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> when the monologue doesn't go well. It's That's like, so oh, funny. no, you're helpless <laughs> watching the beating. Yeah. Um. What do you do exactly? Because you've been doing it for 20 years, mm-hmm. and a lot has happened in the news in 20 years. Sure. What do you do on days where there's maybe, a, or like a week in the news where there's like some tragedy, or how do you find comedy in tragedy? Well, that's that's a good question. And you know what? You we uh, When I was first on the show, a couple months in, they had that Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, yeah. Just terrible. Right. And 
I think Jackie Onassis died around the same time. But the news was just, you know, you look through the, in the old days, we had a stack of newspapers and that's how we got our information. So you're looking through and it was all tragedy. Yeah. And what would happen is on USA Today, they would have those little state by state thing. So he would come out and he would say, oh, so did you folks hear about this comptroller in Dayton, Ohio? (laughs) No, of course not. Do you know what I mean? It was just obscure. Obscure. There was nothing else we could talk about, you know. And, you know, this a woman in Kansas ate an onion and then she didn't think it was very tasty or whatever. (laughs) And the crowd's like, what? These are the premises, you know. But we we, we just had to find these little obscure stories and do the best we can, you know. And that was brutal. It's gotten a little better in the sense of really the getting having the internet there are more sources there are more stories and you can kind of dig a little more so you know uh if there is a tragedy if there's some we're not going to talk about it it's yeah. you know and that's actually one thing that when i was a stand-up and there'd be something that's like i thought that it's like oh i guess i have to talk about this and no, I don't, you don't. Right. Why? No one wants to hear jokes about the Oklahoma City bombing right. or something horrible. Do you know? So, I'm just like such a sick comedy nerd that when I see something in the newspaper, I'm like, oh, what is Letterman or Conan going to say? Absolutely. Tonight? And <laughs> I, I, I felt the same way. And then I, I, it, it's the kind of thing of, you know, because it's a national show. I think when you, you know when you're doing a stand-up show. If something happens in Nebraska and you're doing a show in Maine, well, you can talk about it in front of the 40 people that night and nobody knows anybody involved or whatever. Right. But this, because it's a national show, it's like, hey, you know, people in Nebraska are going to hear about this and, you know, or no one wants to hear you make light of that, whatever that tragedy was. So um, what I used to think was, oh, I have to talk about this because on the news is, no, if it's... If it's a subject that's going to bum everybody out, then don't talk about yeah. it. <laughs> you know, don't feel like you have to to talk talk about everything in the news. You know, yep. uh, and that's one thing I learned kind of early on of find the funny stories, find the stories that that um, will have some comedy to it. You know, yep. I mean, it sounds like common sense, and maybe I was a boob before, <laughs> but and I do see comics and clubs now, and they're doing topical stuff where it's like, you know what? You don't need to do it. You know, we don't want to hear a beheading joke. Right. Or whatever it is, you know. Um, it may be clever. It may be whatever. But they're not going to get past this subject. Right. You know, so. It's too sensitive. Right. Why bum everybody out? Exactly. Yeah. You know? a comedy club. And thinking, well, I'm, you know. I mean, occasionally there is a great comic like a Chris Rock or somebody that can talk about a heavy subject and, and be insightful it. and right. dissect it. Absolutely. But. That, that's, that's above my level, thing, and I don't yeah. know. It's it's a very tricky thing to do in a late night monologue. I think you know. That's really interesting because I was always wondering, like, how do the writers, you know? Well, work it's funny. That absolutely. Well, sometimes there'll be a tragedy. There'll be a, a plane crash, and three hundred people die. Well, I just skip that. It's like I don't even see it. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll come home, and my wife will say, "Oh, that plane crash was terrible." I'll be like, "Oh, what what plane crash?" You know, yeah. and she's like. <laughs> Well, didn't you read the news all day? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. You know, it's like I block it. It's like, that's oh, that's not funny. Yeah. And I skip, you know. <laughs> and there are these stories in the news so where. just hunting for the content. Absolutely. It's like um, I was studying the, what the Kardashians were doing or right. whatever, you yeah. know. And some of these big trials, you know, the Jody Arias or Ariel Castro, 
I don't know anything about those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm reading the news six hours a day. I couldn't tell you what the first thing what those are about, <laughs> you know, because that's not comedic. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as a citizen, I'm, I'm weirdly uninformed about certain things, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't have time to look at it as a normal person. Right. I'm just looking at it for its comedic purposes, you know. That's so interesting, yeah. And uh, I love your stand-up. Oh, well, and thanks. And I got to know you from the Comedy Magic Club and see your act. Oh, and I love that place, yeah. yeah. And I think uh, your style and your joke writing, it's so tight and perfect. Like, you don't really well, waste thanks. any words before you hit the punchline. And I really love that. But I, I can't imagine, and I've heard your album, Self-Portrait. I think it's really funny. <laughs> oh, thanks. But I, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to memorize about an hour of jokes. <sighs> yes, yes, especially where, you know. That's like 300 it's, it's yeah, it's it's like two hundred jokes anyway, and yeah. I think it's that's true. It's a problem. <laughs> it's definitely a problem. How do you prepare for something like that, like a big show? Well, it's trickier living out in here in LA too, because when I was in New York, at least on the weekends, um, I was often going and doing forty-five minutes. Oh wow! Here, I'm doing it like twice a year. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm doing shows. But um, they have a lot of short sets here. You're doing a lot of eight-minute sets or, you know, you might do 15 minutes or 20. But it's rare that I'm doing 45 minutes mm-hmm. out here. So when it happens every once in a while, I have to do a long set. And I have to spend hours looking over my jokes and trying to remember what my jokes are, yeah. you know. That's definitely a problem because sometimes I'm up there and I'm like, oh, what's the next thing? You yeah. know, I, I – you just – And do you go in order? Do you have a set order? Do you kind of tr- just keep I a tr- bank? Tr- I try to keep it in order, otherwise you can't remember. Right, it, yeah, you know? that's so hard. But it is, it's, if you picture like an athlete, if, if you're just running sprints and now you have to run a marathon, it's like, well, I haven't been training for a marathon, you right, know? Yeah. So, um, and there are times where I do a joke that I've done a couple hundred times, but I haven't done it in a couple of years. I'm like, how does this joke go? You know, I, I had a joke about. Uh, I remember last year I was doing a joke about this exercise class that I took when my son was a little. I couldn't think of the word exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, it was just like What's that like, word again. <laughs> yeah, it was just when it's like, what is? It's like what happened to me? Like what? You know, it wasn't like to was, work out. <laughs> yes, it was like taking one of those. Um, um, and I don't. Know, I think I just said fitness or something, <laughs> but I couldn't think of the word. And that definitely happens where there are times where you go, um, where if you haven't done this joke in a while, you can't remember quite how it goes, you know? Uh, So that can be a problem. Um, And also sometimes you're doing a set and all of a sudden you start doing a joke that you go, I dropped this joke like 10 years ago. Why am I, you know, but (laughs) it just came out. It just came out. It came out and I did the setup. You're like, well, I have to do the punchline now, but you know, and then you're like, "That's this is why I didn't I dropped that joke. It's not yeah. very good." Um, I definitely, um, yeah, f- f- you know, I, I I wish I could do 45 minutes m- more to just have that, just so I go out and I know my act. I hate right. that feeling of being tentative. Like, it's something like this, you know. That's <laughs> yeah. really not as convincing for the audience, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, I just imagine it very difficult. And I personally write jokes in that. I try to, like, yeah. fit it. If I can fit it into a tweet, which is, like, my measuring yes. device. Well, the nice thing about that is short if, enough, good job. if you do a TV show, you can go out and you can do 16 jokes in five minutes, you know. Do you ever get to use the jokes that you write for the show? 
Um, wonder, like in a comedy club? I don't no, know. No, because they're. I, I've I've tried to kind of keep it separate, just right. just so I don't think, oh, let me keep this one for me and give him, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I kind of made the decision twenty years ago of, I'll just give him all the topical stuff and I'll keep all the um the and I'll just write personal stuff for me. So, and your jokes, I find. I'm not sure, but I'm just assuming there's always, this sounds like there's truth in all of those jokes. Well, it's interesting is... Maybe exaggerated, but... Right, right. I mean, I, hopefully my wife's really not trying to murder me. <laughs> but there is that thing of... The setup has to be plausible. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, to, they have to believe what you're saying. So sometimes it's made up. Right. Sometimes even this... I, I, generally speaking, there's a layer of truth to the premise, and so then the punchline is a, is a joke. But... Sometimes the whole thing is made up, but it has to sound plausible, you know. I feel like that's why I really liked your stand-up when I listened to it, because you'd have a joke where, like, you'd say, oh, my daughter sold, you know, $4,000 worth of Girl Scout cookies. I'm like, oh, that probably happened. Right, right, right. And then it takes a crazy turn. (laughs) Right, right. So, and and that was all made up, but at the same time, it's it's a believable premise, you know. uh, um, They, the, for the joke to work, I mean, if you look at a, a, like a Conan monologue Mm -hmm. or, you know, a a late-night host doing well, the premise is a true fact, and then the joke is the punchline, you right. know. But they have to buy into that setup, and I feel like the, the same rules apply to your stand-up uh, where when I first started, I would do kind of very sort of off-the-wall jokes, like Stephen Wright was a hero of mine, oh, and yeah. I would do the, and they didn't buy it from me at all, you uh-huh. know. He could come out and say, I'm n- moving to another planet soon, so <laughs> if you have any <laughs> empty boxes, I'd really appreciate it, yeah. you know. If I come out and said I'm moving to another planet, and they're like, "What are you talking about? No, you're not." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm envious of him because his comedy is so boundless. He's, he's not constricted by time and, and place. A dehumidifier. Yes, and absolutely. The let them, <laughs> let them find it out. <laughs> so it, it's he's not bound by the conventions of real life, mm-hmm. you know. But because I look like an average person or whatever, I, I'd find it's like all oh, those something too weird or too nutty doesn't work for me right you know so the more you do it you see how people perceive you and what what they what, what they believe and yeah. you know um and the, and i do find that the premise has to be um they have to be on board with the premise for a joke to work you mm-hmm. know there was this guy i used to work with years ago who was totally emaciated and sickly looking and he did this bit about buying condoms. Well, the audience is thinking, what do you need a condom for, buddy? <laughs> you know? And then when he, it was a seven-minute pant, and then he changed the beginning to, I went to buy some new condoms because my old ones expired. <laughs> and then he did the rest of the bit, and everybody was on board. They yeah. go, okay, now we're with you. Right. So the rest of the bit didn't change, but just having, adding that believability factor in the beginning, that made all the difference. Yeah, that's a really... Funny thing that you mentioned—it's how the audience perceives you, because you might perceive yourself completely. Absolutely, different. absolutely, and, and and the audience will let you know pretty much immediately. Yeah, and and sometimes it's it's in a positive way, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes it's in a negative way, where, uh, you know, uh, as I say, like that guy doing jokes about you know, uh, I remember somebody doing a joke about the supermodel hitting on him, where <coughs> it was like, buddy, no, no supermodels <laughs> hitting on you. What are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? Right. But then there are other times when when somebody would do a joke about, oh, you know, I'm a real loser. And it's like, you know, I, I have a friend who was this, you know, handsome guy who would do jokes about his girlfriend being 300 pounds. And the audience is like, no, she isn't. Yeah. You know, we saw her when she came in with you. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> She's the hot woman at the bar that everyone 
notice when she can't. It's like it's not believable. It's you so know? interesting. Yeah, comedy people don't like to be lied to. It's yeah, really so they they have to. As I, and as I say, sometimes the way they perceive you is kind of a negative way, you yeah. know. And other times they're like, "No, you're you're not a loser. Or you're not whatever." Right. And we're not buying it. Yeah, you know, that's really cool. And you mentioned that out in LA, you're doing only about eight minutes. That's in my mind, you've mastered the six-minute TV spot. Uh, oh well, thanks, thanks. And, I mean, you've done Jay Leno four times, Letterman six times, and Conan eleven times, which I think is phenomenal. Oh well, thanks, thanks. It's um, that's actually what you know. Sometimes people get a writing job and then they quit doing stand-up, and they're like, "Well, why would I?" You know, mm-hmm. uh, um, I I. For me, it's really a, th- a treat to go on and do one of those shows. So I, I kind of, uh, I'm not looking to go on the road and and travel around the country. And you know, I I, I get too depressed, and that's mm-hmm. you know, to be away from my wife and my kids and stuff, that would just bum me out. Yeah. So what I try to do is let me work on a six minute set and go on TV and do that, and that's the highlight of my year if I can get on Letterman or get on Conan or yeah. something, you know. So Are that's kind of what I was shoot for. Letterman again before he leaves. I know it's a yeah. Short, I'm hoping to. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah so it's a sh- it's a short window, yeah. but I'm trying to put my set together. So we'll what see. Did you, do you have like a most memorable TV set that you've done, or bumping into one of your heroes or anything like that? Um, yeah, I think you know it's funny. Um, I remember, you know, your set is so condensed. And I remember I had a very lame segue between jokes one time on my letter and when you go out there it's very surreal because you, you want to just look around you want right. to just stop and go oh there's Dave Letter- David Letterman's right over there mm-hmm. and there's the band and Paul Schaefer and there's the cameras and the audience you know you you kind of want to just look around for two minutes you it's know Dave's perspective it's yeah really you cool, know man. but you just like no you just focus on what you're supposed to do right. and all that kind of stuff but I had a terrible transition from I couldn't get from one bit to another and, mm-hmm. and what happens in your in your normal act you have some other jokes in between but I'd either done them on the show or they didn't want them. so I'm just I was going from two topics that from one to another that had nothing to do with each other so I just had this lame setup, and I remember I do the segue just to get to the joke and I could just hear Dave laughing like <laughs> I know he's thinking what the hell is that you know <laughs> like he's laughing you know derisively at my terrible segue you know and I wanted to burst out laughing and I wanted to turn around and go I know that was all I had you know the two jokes I thought were fine but just getting from one joke to joke A to joke B I didn't have anything to connect them you know and that really made me laugh of just here's David Letterman mocking my segue (laughs) (laughs) and the audience isn't laughing he's laughing like what yeah you know just from Uh, one comic to another yes and that that really made me laugh just internally you that's know? so great um, yeah. and then you know the first time I did Dave was sick and that was an emergency I had to go fill in uh, Bruce Willis was supposed to be the first guest and he had to host oh wow so it was and the, I didn't even know I was in the running they called me and like hey can you do the show today and it was like yeah okay <laughs> you know and I'm writing over at Conan and I just walked over and did the Letterman show wow. um, but it was so surreal where you know I always dreamed of doing Letterman and then he wasn't there and Bruce Willis is there it's kind of like you're a kid and you have that dream where you wait why is my dad the school principal or whatever you know what I mean it's <laughs> yeah. like that kind it of makes sense yes, yeah yeah so it was that was very um you know something I won't forget you yeah know? that's a great story yeah. um 
when did you um like first start to realize that you had that ability to do comedy were you young or did it start in college yeah it did start in college you know it's funny when um when i was a kid I wanted to be a comedian, you know, but I thought, well, no one can be a comedian. Like, that, you know, that's I had the same feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, that doesn't, it's you know, it's a secret you shouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny, it's become actually, there's a lot of comedians now, but they just weren't, there were so few comedians when I was a kid. Right. There's, there's a couple famous ones, but then you'd never heard of anyone else being a comedian, you yeah. know? Um, and I remember thinking, well, there's no way to become a comedian, but I knew that TV shows had comedy writers. So I thought, okay, well, at least I'll be a, could be a comedy writer so that's what I, and I love the Dick Van Dyke show and I, I that, that was you know as a say th- around 13 I decided this is what I want to do I realized oh I'm not going to make it as a football player or a baseball player or whatever well, you're kind of living his life now the character's life on the show he's a comedy writer yeah it's true it's kind of funny how that, that worked out so I, I and I started writing jokes when I was a teenager and um so I, you know, I started I started doing stand up when I was in college, um, but I guess when I started having good shows and having other comedians compliment my jokes and things like that, it made me think like, oh, maybe I can do this, yeah. you know. And I kind of was lucky in that when I was in college, the sort of the comedy club boom started. So I got out of college and I was able to go and be a full time comic, and. Um, I heard in a podcast that Todd Berry did with Mark Maron that you guys were actually roommates. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were roommates for a little while. Yeah. So that was that. That was very much the sitcom. You know, I started. What happened was, it's, I started at Conan, and my wife and I were living in Boston, and she was the VP of a company. Mm-hmm. And I started working at Conan, and I just had these thirteen-week deals, and you know, sh- she was making twice as much as me. And people were like, well, why don't you move here? And it's like, well really you know I should quit and move back you know move back home so I would come during the week and then go home on the weekends and then I started they let me started letting me write from home one or two days a week so I would come in for like three nights and two or three nights and then I would be home for four or five nights but uh so I would crash with Todd (laughs) and you know here I was a married guy and I had like uh, my son was born you know um and he was living the bachelor life, and he would. He I think would, he's still living the bachelor yes, life. Yes, yeah, and he would come in at three in the morning wow. or four in the morning, and I'd be in bed at eleven <laughs> or whatever, you know. So we didn't, we actually didn't cross paths that much, um, but yeah, I just had a bed, and a lot of times, what before I'd go to bed, I'd want to read, so I'd go into the bathroom and I would put the. St- like the toilet seat cover down, you know. <laughs> I would just sit on top of the t- and read my book, <laughs> and then I'd, you know, and sometimes he'd have to knock. I have to use the bathroom. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm just know? reading. Yeah, I'm just here reading. <laughs> so he made fun of me for that on on, on Marin's podcast. That's it's so like, funny. Uh, and then my wife came to visit, and she's like, "Why don't I get you a lamp and a chair so you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> don't have to do this?" That's so funny. Well, thank you so much. Sure, for sure, sure. I had a great time. Oh. And Thanks. I, I probably have stolen your jokes when I was growing up and watching Conan because <laughs> well, nobody else would watch Conan and I was the nerd and you were the only to school and do the, well, the fact the that you're day. seven years old I, yeah I don't think other kids in the second so grade sure were I, like I said some of your jokes thank you so much for talking <laughs> sure, to me sure 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 privilege and you can follow Mr. Kylie at Kylie Noodles on Twitter and definitely download his album Self Portrait on iTunes it's really funny and uh, you can see where he's performing on BrianKylie.com 
and you'll be at Flappers on Wednesday, November 5th? Yeah, it's some kind of benefit, and I'm doing a benefit actually Sunday at the, uh, I don't know when this comes out, so maybe it's too late. Oh, Comedy Magic? It'll yeah. come out the day after. But oh, okay. And then the Ice House in Pasadena, November 13th. Okay, great. great. Thank you so much, Mr. Kelly. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. I'll, now I'll show up to those gigs. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Great to meet you. Great to meet you, too. Thanks. Thank you.